Hi, everyone. I'm Nathan, the host of this podcast. And tonight, I'm honored to be joined by Randall Littlefield. Randall is a history teacher who has experience teaching humanities courses. Originally from Maine, he has lived and worked in New England, Middle Atlantic states, and the South. His studies have taken him to England, West Europe, Poland, Russia, and Israel, lending him deep understanding of different cultures and perspectives. He has also been a crew leader for both the YCC and YACC programs of the United States Forest Service. And the mantra, all of us are stronger than one of us, all of us are smarter than one of us, embodies his beliefs. Throughout his career, he has won several fellowships through the National Endowment for the Humanities, another at the Civil War Institute, and a Fulbright Hayes Group Projects Abroad program. Hey, Randall, how are you doing? I'm pretty good. How are you? Doing well, thank you. So the first question I have for you today is, if you could have a dinner for two with any historical figure, who would it be and why? Well, that's a really good question. One I'm probably going to have my students try to answer as well when they know a little more. I, I, there's a range of people I would love to meet and to spend time with. Some of them are not necessarily people I'd want to have uh, dinner with. So co combining that sort of narrows it down for me. I, I think the person I would choose today would be Elie Wiesel, not only because of the content of what he could say to me, uh, but also because of just, I think, his manner, his very personality. He's somebody who um, I could see myself wanting to break bread with. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. His expeditions in trying to bring the Nazis to justice after the Holocaust and using his time after surviving the concentration camps, staying focused and trying to track them down is something really admirable. Oh. It is. Uh, I, I thought one of the other people that I really think similarly of is Primo Levi. But I, I think that um, because of the... Uh, um, because of his passing, of the, the the details of that and the uncertainty uh, of all of that, I think that it would be that would be a harder conversation for me to have with him. Um, could you tell me a little bit more about him? Sure. He was an he was an Italian scientist who was imprisoned in um, uh, in a couple of camps. He and his wife, I believe, he wrote. Um, several books about this uh one the most directly related to his experience is called uh, survival in auschwitz that's the at least the american title publication of it but uh his his i think it's his final book is called the gray zone it is a rumination on all of this things that you and i've already done some talking about and it is um it actually is the, the, there's a chapter in there that is called the gray zone in which he explains <clears throat> something that we've, we've already uh, had a little bit of discussion about this, um, this gray area between what is we'll call good and what we will call evil that we live in. 
and those choices that we can make. So it is a, uh, in terms of understanding things about human nature, I think he has a, as much to say, and perhaps in some ways even more eloquently than Wiesel. But I, I do know, I am more comfortable with Wiesel's um, writings, and I think that he's a, a almost a gentle, uh, a little bit more gentle of a uh, guide into the past and to understanding some things about the past. Mm -hmm. Definitely two very significant figures, um, influential past their days in the World War II stage. But I also know that you're an expert on the Great War or World War I. So <clears throat> really got that interested in that topic. Sure. Well, um, if, you know, first, as a young as a young boy, I was interested in all things about World War II, and and read as much as I could. But it was a boyhood's interest. Um, from that interest in everything about World War II, that it was trying to bring some meaning and understanding to it that led me towards looking at World War One and. At first, it was just looking at the events of the war as sort of like the starting point to really get into what I was interested about, about World War II. But as I read more, as I learned more about the Great War, um, it, it did more than just uh, impact my uh, intellectual thinking. It was really touching um, my emotional response to the study of history. And so the lives of many of those people, and they, and many of them, many of them who survived, they wrote about this uh, in in such uh, of varied ways. From those people we call the war poets of Wilfred Owen and Siegfried Sassoon, to memoirs or other accounts from people like Vera Britton and the art of Kadi Kolwitz, uh, and these things become. Uh, important insights, not only into their souls, but I allowed them to be um, points of insight into my own. And and as a teacher, that is something that I am looking for my students to be able to do. They they will not. I, I, I tell them that they don't have to have a response in quite the same way that I have to some things, but that that if I'm doing my job correctly, they will have a response to something. And I'm encouraging them to try to adopt the the knowing about the past of some specific individuals so that they can begin to find a way of uh, having them resonate in their lives and what's important to them from the very choices that the students make about who they can who they can study. Uh, we, we do a biography project that I can't take ownership of. It was my wife's idea. The, this bio project is something that she first developed and that uh, I, like all good teachers, I've appropriated what's good that other people have uh, done. And in doing this, um, students can not only learn about these other people, but I have them do some things that are trying to make them see through the through the lens of the characters that they've chosen and and to have them know something about each of these people it's not just a blind choice <clears throat> they have to know a little something because they do have a, a there's a matter of choice as to who they can focus on and more choices than, than the students will necessarily have but what i've also found that helps to 
get them in the framework to do this is a, a film series. I think it's one of the very best documentary film series I've ever seen. Uh, and uh, it's a joint production of PBS in this country and BBC in England uh, called The Great War and the Shaping of the 20th Century. Well, um, I will be sure to check out that film. It becomes so highly recommended. I think um, something that you keep repeating is choice. So how do you think choices, maybe you could just um, go into like one or two examples, really play a role in history as well as how it connects to human nature? Sure. There are many people who like that idea of history repeating itself, that if we don't understand history, that uh, that it does do this, that we're going to have to relive this history. I don't particularly like that quotation. I think that it does a couple of things in our thinking that take it away from the human element. Uh, as um, Bayard Rustin, uh, someone who was very influential within the civil rights movement, has said, history is not some accident that falls on us from the sky. History is a choice. And sometimes we have to remember that when we don't make choices, that is also a choice. And that we look at the past and the Holocaust in particular, uh, I think, lent itself to us doing this, where we saw these the results of these choices, and we thought, well, what kind of people would make those choices? They had to either be bad apples in the bunch, or it was just bad people making bad choices. That's one way of looking at the past. It's one way of even looking at the present. I think that we are much more complicated than that, and that this capacity for choosing that which tends to lean towards good or that which tends to lean towards evil lies within every one of us. And it is there that when we say, well, history repeats itself, we we take that fact away. We then can explain the bad history that we look at, and there's so much of it, as sort of they were bad actors, they're bad people, they're not people like me. And I want everybody to think about this in ways of how we will be looked at 50 years from now, 100 years from now, a a millennium from now. And as they begin to see the world that we created, not one that was necessarily foisted on us by some unseen historical force, but a world that we've created, and they will ask themselves, what were we thinking? That we inherited the world we did and followed through on some of the paths that our predecessors had chosen and the choices we've made that have passed that world on to our children's children's children. That is a thing that I think begins to make us reframe the way we view the lives of people in the past as well. And to understand that the choices that people made thousands of years ago uh, and the the way that they viewed them in, say, ancient Egypt are not all that different from some of the ways that we make choices today. 
You know, yeah. Okay, well, I just think it's very interesting to hear a different take on history. Many people have had their perspectives on it. Like Mark Twain said, it doesn't necessarily repeat itself, more so it rhymes. But <laughs> I like that. I do like that quotation a lot. <laughs> yeah, but more so that it's the human nature that really drives us down either path. And it just so happens that once in a while, things look like they were parallel or mirrors of each other. But sure. you also believe in the idea of um, contradiction. Um, could you please elaborate on that a little bit for our listeners? Well, it, it kind of connects back to what we were talking about in viewing the past as either bad past and bad people, good past and good people. And that's how we understand history. But when you admit the idea of contradictions, then you can hold the uh, a more complicated view. Uh, perhaps that's not the right word. Complex view of human nature. One that looks at this capacity for making this choice within each of us and that we are that bundle of contradictions. I'm thinking, for example, of one of my least favorite presidents, uh, and it's actually Woodrow Wilson. My reason for disliking Wilson is really because of his almost messianic complex of him thinking that he knew a complexity about that. So that meant that this man was who, in some ways, you know, he does need to be credited for some very important things, things that he did that helped to broaden uh, um, the progressive movement, the ideas of the progressive movement. There was no real single one idea necessarily that he throws through there, but the, the movement was complex enough as it was, and he was a progressive. He, but this, was, this man was also a racist. And his policies were racist. And he had a, a great idea for the, um, for the League of Nations. It, it's without this, we don't have the, the UN, whatever anybody thinks about this. This was an attempt to try to bring a more ideal way of dealing with our conflicts. But at the same time, you know, he was so committed to, to his vision of the League of Nations that he, he encouraged his own supporters to vote down the, uh, the objections to the Treaty of Versailles because he wanted it his way or not at all. And Roosevelt, his, his contemporary, had a different idea about politics. Uh, it was politics is the art of the possible, and it is finding the things that you can agree on and, and knowing that you're going to have some losses because of this, but this is how we can make some progress. So, so Wilson, to me, embodies this very nature of this man who had so much that was good about him and so much that was not, and this is us. We are flawed people, and those flaws... They're, they become interesting in that we can just sort of acknowledge them and dismiss them, or we can begin to really look at that interplay of those flaws and to understand uh, how much human nature is not significantly different than it was thousands of years ago in reading some of the, some of the literature from ancient Egypt. 
you know, the, or even from Mesopotamia. We, we, they're, they're struggling with all the same things that we struggle with life and death and love and responsibility and duties and reading some of these some of these ancient um documents it's it's as if they were written yesterday and that's what it is that i mean by that idea of contradiction that we are we are not perfect um but we are given choices and they're not always choices between good things and bad things. Um, Lawrence Langer, in writing about the Holocaust, coined that phrase that sometimes we get choiceless choices. Well, most of us don't get those. Most of us are choosing between something that's pretty good or something that's not. But in some worlds, at some points, people are presented with choiceless choices. They're a choice between one bad thing and something that's even worse. And neither of them we can call good. So getting out of this, stopping to thinking, stop our thinking about things as either good or bad, um, I think is, is part of what I mean by contradictions. The good and the bad, uh, I think it's the I Ching that says, the earth in all its devotion carries all things equal without exception, good and evil. And that means that we carry those same capacities and choices. I think when you were talking about Mesopotamia, it kind of reminded me of law and how our law today is sort of an evolved version of Hammurabi's code. It's like an eye for an eye, but just a little bit more complex than that. It It is, but that is one of the things to think about is about that that the capacity of humans to begin to try to bring order to our lives uh because as we built these more complicated and larger societies, it does evolve into our need for these institutions. I mean, if we could all live as the original um, prehistoric hominids lived in small traveling bands, yeah, we'd probably have a lot less conflict and be a lot happier at some ways. But that also limits some of those things that are glories because civilization has provided some of these things that are just glorious. Think, think about the Taj Mahal. Think about the Great Wall, despite its purpose. Just think about the construction of that, the, the will and the ability to organize, to build these kinds of things. These are expressions of human nature, as is the law. Mm -hmm. I guess it just goes back to every choice has its consequences, like the choice we made to embrace the Neolithic revolution. Like, as you said, we now have these um, fantastic luxuries to live with, but we also have problems that maybe foragers didn't. On that note, my last question for you today is, if humans are innately flawed in a sense, how can we at least take steps to make the better choices, even when we're given choiceless choices? Okay, so, so um, I think I, some of your question cut out, but I think I understand what you're asking. Oh, do, uh, do you need me to? Yeah, um, I guess for me, I get worried uh, when, I, when I see the accumulation of power anywhere. When I see that it's centralized, even if it's centralized around someone who I might see as good, I worry because I think that 
just the very nature of power and how it's exercised that um, that's a path towards having problems um, at at best and having disasters at worst. So <clears throat> even though I um, am not always a fan of what we would what we call democracy that i don't like always the democratic choice uh and i want to see ways of making sure that democracy is not i mean the idea of majority rule is a beautiful idea if you're always in the majority but if you're not um then democracy is not such a good thing so you have to find a way of allowing the minority voice to be expressed that's the whole point about the civil rights movement without the possibility of having laws that we stand on and reminding ourselves that we need to stand on these laws the voices of the civil rights movement this was a minority protest it helped to shift the majority thinking it took well we can say it, it took well over 100 years if we just go even back to the civil war but to the birth of the of the movement in the 1950s that it's taken almost 50 years just to make us move that much in this country to admit that these rights also should be shared by those who have a different color skin than the ones who wrote those laws in thinking in thinking about this from what i want students to be able to see is that there are no easy paths no easy solutions and that there's no way to escape some form of responsibility for the circumstances in which we live and this whole idea is to be able to see that yes we build institutions and we should write these laws and we should be very careful about how we frame them but enacting that power and giving that power over to anybody that understanding the power itself has its own seductive elements and that even for good people that that if they are not able to step back step away that becomes where some of those abuses can come even from good people and i i think that it's always goes back to that idea that i share when i teach about the progressives in in america of roosevelt's um idea of politics is the art of the possible even he became a megalomaniac about some of this it's why he part in part why he ran again in 1912 um against two other progressives uh and uh um taft his handpicked successor and wilson um all three of them are progressives and they don't all agree with each other that's one <laughs> that's one fact alone to help us understand the complexity of the progressive movement but even with his some people will call it arrogance um i think that it's important to remember that we we are this bundle of contradictions and that if we can just remember that um humans have the capacity to do very many good things they have also an enormous capacity <clears throat> when they build many good powerful institutions to do things that are disastrous and it is stepping back from this and and uh, and beginning with the assumption that i may not know everything i need to know
I may not understand everything I need to understand. Who else should I, can I talk to? You can't do this forever. You have to make choices at some point or they're made for you. But at the same time, to accepting the possibility that you might be wrong in your thinking, that is something that I don't see, I think I don't see enough of, uh, of cultural and political leaders all over the world. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, um, I guess it's a lot of political structures we see these days as limiting power. I think people are starting to realize that an amalgamation of that in a single entity, regardless of how pure their intentions might be to start, is always susceptible to some sort of corruption. And um, I think human nature is extremely hard to um, get the pulse of. But with that, thank you, Randall. Um, it was fascinating to hear about World War I, World War II, and their influential actors like Woodrow Wilson and Elie Wiesel. It was also great to hear about the different medias with which history is preserved, whether it's written, oral, or in films and art, That, as you mentioned. I will really make sure to go check out that documentary on the great... I'll pick it up there. It was also extremely interesting to hear a different opinion on the phrase that history repeats itself and maybe it doesn't but i think today was a much more philosophical conversation on human nature in that it's always an internal choice within each of us between good and evil that leads us down either path but at the same time right and wrong is also very subjective and i think a lot of that work is in that gray area but which side of the gray area we lean into is what dictates the trajectory of history. I guess as humans, we also put on some blinders when we decide and acknowledging and knowing that those biases are there in the first step is the first step in getting more objective judgments in the future. Like It's like what you said with our flaws and how we need to examine and understand those to mitigate their effects. And um once again um thank you randall for your time today it was really a very fascinating and rich conversation thank you very much nathan i'm honored to be asked well um with that i think that's all the time we have for today so have a good day you too thank you very much i hope you enjoyed this episode of history for two Please share this podcast with your friends and tune in for other episodes. You can also find full video episodes on the website www.history42.com.